0: Who among us can say, yes, I have sold all that I have and I have accomplished this. The Lord has given up more for you than you will ever give up for Him. Welcome to Every Moment His. This is a podcast where we seek to bring every aspect, every moment of our lives under the gentle authority of Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. We're glad you're here when we pray this conversation is a blessing to you. back to our uh, study of the parables. Today we are looking at three parables. The parable of the treasure, the parable of the pearl, and the parable of the net. Uh, So we'll do a little review um, before we jump into that and we'll actually start with the net and uh, spend the majority of our time on the treasure and the pearl. Uh, This image, uh, this image of Jesus, is one of my favorites favorite ways to look at the parables, so it's just a a way of reminding us the task that's in front of us is uh, when we look at this image the first time we look at it we can see that uh, maybe Jesus is the one behind the barbed wire and we feel maybe sorry for him and that's one way to look at it but then uh, on further inspection we can think oh maybe Jesus is actually looking at me and I'm the one behind the barbed wire and he's looking with compassion uh, at me And so that's the kind of perspective change that we get with the parables. We see it one way, and then if we look at it close enough, we can see it another way. And I think that's the the way that Jesus is intending to use parables is to get us to see um, our own false perceptions and to see the kingdom of God God as it really is. So with that thought, let's dive into this. Um, Let's see here. Make sure, we get this going here. Okay, so if we look in the um in Matthew chapter 13, we see Jesus teaches a series of parables. Matthew 13 is almost all parables. There's a few paragraphs of teaching and explanation, but um majority of the whole chapter is his parables. So what are the parables that we've encountered and in this chapter and what's coming up? First, we had the parable of the sower. This is Jesus's first parable. Then we have the par- parable of the wheat and the weeds, um, and then we had the mustard seed and the leaven, which we won't really focus on uh, in this um, series of teaching, but it's in there. And then we have the parable of the hidden treasure, which we'll look at today, and then the pearl of great value, and the, then the parable of the net. So these are the parables that are in the uh, 13th chapter of Matthew. Uh, Jesus begins to teach this in response to the difficulty uh, that it's facing his kingdom or the difficulty of why people are rejecting his rule and his reign, why it's not going maybe as some would expect or want it to go. So let's remind ourselves about these parables so far. We've had the parable of the sower. And the sower is, uh, you could kind of... um, just get myself out of the way there. You can kind of uh, summarize it by the reign of God does not always succeed in penetrating human hearts and bearing fruit, but the Lord generously gives his word anyway. So we see that picture of the sower and there's this mystery of why the reign of God is rejected by some. And the answer is the condition of the soil. And Jesus describes how this is And even though some will never believe the message of the kingdom, nonetheless, the sower throws it out. So that's what it's teaching us about the kingdom. Uh, The next, let's see, the next is the parable of the weeds. And we could summarize that one. There's going to be evil right along with the good in this world, and we must bear with it. But on the last day, all will be made right. And so the emphasis of this one is really on The question of, should we tear these weeds out of the wheat before the harvest? And the answer is no, wait till the end. The mustard seed and the leaven, we could kind of summarize the the punch of these ones as the kingdom of God starts small and doesn't look significant, but soon is huge everywhere and affects everything. So the parable of the mustard seed grows to a great tree in the garden. Even the birds come and make its nest in its branches. So it's something that grows. It looks insignificant and small, like just like we could say the death of a Jewish rabbi looks insignificant and small. But then soon enough, uh, all nations find refuge under the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus. Or the leaven is this insignificant looking powder that goes into the The bread, and it's worked all the way through, and it affects everything, even though it's kind of like magic. You wouldn't expect that when you're uh, just looking at it, but it works its way through everything and changes everything. So this kind of mysterious, expanding, ubiquitous is a $10 word, ubiquitous kingdom of God. Uh, Now we look at the parable of the net, and so we'll read this together and then uh, do some interpretation of it. So Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. Very simple. Um, and then Jesus gives an, uh, meaning of this so it will be at the end of the age the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth so if we look at this like what imagery does jesus use in this parable is a good question he uses a net and two kinds of fish and men sorting them out um why does he use that well you know, nets are indiscriminate. They they just get whatever is there. They're not making the decision, the judgment at the time. Um, there's good fish, there's bad fish. There's ones you want to eat. There's ones you don't want to eat. And so all kinds of things indiscriminately are being pulled up. And that's similar to the other teachings of the gospel so far. Uh, like the sower throws the seed wherever, you know, it doesn't account for, is it going to find success? Um And so that's similar, right? There's this um, universal proclamation of the gospel to good people, to bad people, to those who hear, to those who stop up their ears. So what do those images represent? Jesus gives us the answer in some regard. He doesn't exactly say what the net is, but it's like the kingdom of God. It's the proclamation of Jesus. It's the um, the gospel presentation, um, this kingdom that's come into the world. Uh, He says that the men sorting are like angels, and that the good fish and the bad fish are like the righteous, those who believe, or the wicked, those who reject. Uh, And so the angels at the end will sort through what is the good and what is the bad that has been uh, washed up, you could say, or dragged out in the kingdom of God. So how is this parable similar to the parable of the weeds? Well, they're both uh, pointing us toward the end days. The parable of the weeds is pointing us to that final day when the harvest comes, the weeds and the wheat will be separated. Similarly, the uh, the parable of the net, there's going to be a moment at the end of all of this that brings it to conclusion where the good and the bad are separated. So I think that's what's common to these um, and there's an interesting distinction here. why is why are they different or what way ways are these two um, parables different? And I think the the one, the parable of the weeds is talking primarily about uh, the problem of bearing with evil in this world. Uh, why if the kingdom of God is actuated, it has come among us in this world, why does it not seem like it? Why do the those who are on the side of righteousness suffer? Why do they suffer rejection and problems? Where is the goodness of the kingdom of God right now? And the question of what should we do about it, which is the question that the, the servants ask the master. And the answer to the servants and to us is to be patient. Um, that there will be a day when everything get, becomes right. God will enact that. In the meantime, we are to bear with the weeds, bear with the evil, and we are to be patient at this, at this present time. So the question really is, what are we supposed to do about it? And the answer is, just hang on, be patient. Um, the parable of the net really doesn't have that same idea or the same question of, should we spring into action because of the evil that we see? The question, it's really more succinct. It's just pointing to that last day. Um, And it seems to be saying just there's going to be a last day of judgment. That's what you need to know. Um, There's going to be maybe those who pretend to be Christians who are caught up in the church, who lie their way in or are there for disingenuous reasons. Um, But we're not going to be able to sort that out. The angels will. So know that there's a, a last day coming. Um, and the sorting will occur just not yet. So that's maybe, um, what's similar. Now this question is, or what's different. This last question is what other conversations in the gospel does this parable remind you of? And I think this is maybe where we see a little bit more of the distinction is the idea of fishing is caught up (laughs) in other places in the scripture. Um, And it reminds us of the disciples themselves. And so let's remind ourselves of some of those passages. Matthew 4, uh, this is when Jesus calls his disciples. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And so this connects to the original calling of the disciples to become fishers of men, to cast their nets broadly, and to bring all kinds of people into God's kingdom. Another uh, connection is that we as Christians are also called to have this mindset that even though it's not going to be perfect or pretty all the time in the church um, that and we might end up getting some bad fish, nonetheless persevere in the mission. Go be fishers of men. So Jesus tells all his disciples in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the the conversation about the net is a conversation about uh, whether or not um, it's The outcome is exactly what you would expect to be in this life. Nonetheless, cast the net. Nonetheless, go and shine the light. Carry on with the mission that Jesus gives. And of course, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And we might think uh, in the parable of the net, there's all kinds of fish being caught up in this net. So go and make disciples of all nations indiscriminately baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this encouragement stay on course is, I think, the the central teaching of that parable. So now let's take that that parable, um, which is that, that teaching of staying on course, and let's take a moment to look at these other two parables for today, which I think have a parallel meaning, and um, that's the parable of the pearl and the parable of the treasure in the field. So we'll read those now. So Matthew 13, verse 44 uh, says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it so these are the two parables so um there's a few ideas that we should just think about, right? Um, what are these different signifiers? What is the meaning of this parable? Um, what for what purpose is Jesus teaching us these things? So what images does Jesus use? We see the image of the field. the field has been the world uh, in the in previous um, in the parable of the weeds, the field is the world and that's pretty much always the case. That, um, that whenever the field is brought up, it's the world. So, uh, this parable is there's a treasure hidden in the world that a man finds and he hides again. So, there's treasure, and there's a question of what is the treasure, but tre- you know, treasure has a certain amount of um excitement. You know, I think of um, like pirate movies and things like that when you see this great treasure that is worth. Uh, everything you know just a game-changing kind of a discovery for this man Um, or if you think about uh, you know stories like the hobbit where there's this great treasure guarded by a dragon and uh, they're off to off to get the treasure of the mountain right so there's this excitement to find that treasure and the man is excited one question is who is this man Um, another question is why does he hide? The treasurer again. Uh, another question is, uh, you know, does the does the owner of the field get anything to say about this? And another question is, uh, apparently, this this is so valuable that this man is worth uh, it's worth to him to sell everything to obtain it. Um, so there's a few things left unexplained or mysterious. We uh, don't know anything beyond that that episode in this man's life he didn't we don't say like he lived happily ever after but he did sell everything so he could obtain this and he buys it so we have some resolution but not a lot we don't know how the treasure got there uh we don't know what the intentions of the owner was or how the man went about explaining why he was doing all of this we don't know any of that we just have this very concise image of an exchange for something of great value that has been found. Um, So if we think about the other parable too, oops, sorry, Um, okay, if we think about the the second parable uh, that Jesus teaches, which is the parable of the pearl, uh, we see a lot of similarities. In fact, the grammar of these two are, are strikingly similar. Um, So we can even look at it again, right? We see um, the mechanism for obtaining the treasure is exactly the same. They purchase it with everything they have, right? They get it with everything they got. Uh, it's, It's of such great value that it's worth going through that difficulty. Another thing that's not explained is what is the guy with the pearl what is he going to do after that right he can't eat the pearl it's very hard to find a a buyer for that kind of thing but it was worth that sacrifice for to obtain that so that's the striking similarities and for that reason almost every single commentator throughout history has said they have a, the same punch, the same meaning. There's not a lot of distinction in the ways that these are to be understood. They both have to do with this exchange for something great, uh, and Jesus says that's like the kingdom of heaven. This exchange that's going on. So, uh, what's different in these two parables? Um, well, we see some some distinctions. Like, for instance, uh, in the parable of the treasure, the man finds the treasure and he hides the treasure we don't have that in the the merchant we don't have a this hiddenness idea or being covered up we don't have that detail also we don't have in the parable of the treasure the man doesn't directly buy the treasure or barter for the treasure but he in fact buys the entire field so there's the field has a, a more prominent role and the treasure has more of a a distinct one-to-one kind of thing going on. So those are some differences there. So here's the burning question, I think, and we'll spend some time here, is are we the man in the parable or is Jesus? Are we the man or is Jesus? So one way to look at this parable would be to say that the treasure, like we are the man in the parable, and the treasure... As well as the pearl, has something to do with the kingdom of God. Either it's Jesus, or it's the the mercies of God, the grace of God, or entering into a relationship with God is worth giving up everything in our entire life for. And that is certainly true. Um, and in fact, we see we see some of this language in the gospel that we are called to take up our cross and follow Christ we are Jesus says if you want to be my disciple you have to hate your life in this world and you'll find it in me so there is this sense of we exchange something that we have for something better so we exchange our mortal sinful fallen lives for eternal life that that is offered to us in Christ and that is actually the majority of how this parable has been um, decoded and interpreted is that we are the seeker, we are the main character, and the treasure is Jesus or his mercies, uh, the mercies of God in Jesus, and that we are the ones who give up what we have to obtain something better. So that's the majority of how this has been um, interpreted. The other possible interpretation is that Jesus is the man or God, but Jesus is the man and he finds the treasure, which is us or the church. Uh, And in his joy, he exchanges everything he has and obtains us. He exchanges his possessions to obtain us. And I'm going to try to make the case that I think that is the more faithful and more fitting um, interpretation of this parable. That in the parable, it's a picture of Jesus seeking and searching out uh, his church, his people, and exchanging everything he has to obtain that. I think that's the meaning of these parables together. And I'll I'll give you a few reasons why. So first, uh, if we look at this, um, just in general, we humans are never the first actors in salvation. That's not how it works. Um, We're not first called to give up everything we have and then we obtain something Grand from God as if it's a pay for play kind of thing, or if it's a, it's a, uh, a, um, something that we initiate, we do for God. And then, then he does for us. That's not the direction of the gospel. Instead, it's actually the other way, right? Uh, Romans should be ringing in our ears a little bit when it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, That God gave up his son as a propitiation, a payment for our sins. So before we make any initiative to find God or to follow Jesus, um, he has the initiative of coming and being incarnate and seeking us. And this is the direction of the gospel is first God is seeking us like a shepherd seeks a sheep. Uh, he goes and finds us, and it's worth it for him to give up everything to obtain us. This is the great love story of the gospel, the one who came to seeking and give his life for us. So just, just on that alone, we could say it seems to fit better that Jesus is the man seeking after us. And finding us and selling everything he has. The second point, just in that same topic, is, dear friends, have you actually given up everything for Jesus or for the gospel? Like how, if you start to say, I have truly given up everything in this life for the gospel, it becomes another legalistic demand. Because have you? Have you given up all of your preferences? Have you given up um, all of your relationships um, completely into the hands of God? Uh, Have you given up all of your money and all of your conveniences for the kingdom of God? Have you sold everything you've had and followed after him? Have you accomplished this? And is that what God is calling us to, Um, that unless you become completely impoverished unless you are martyred for the faith and give up your life, um, unless um, you're above question when it comes to your holiness and pureness, uh, that you have not yet obtained the kingdom of God, because who among us can say, yes, I have sold all that I have and I have accomplished this? Uh, we have done maybe some sacrifice in our life for the gospel, uh, maybe a small portion, but I'm, promise you that the lord has given up more for you than you will ever give up for him so for that reason as well i would say this is a a story of good news um i want to take you back quickly to um the context of these oops sorry there we go almost there The the parables that are in Matthew 13, I want you to take a look at these, the sower, the wheat, the mustard, and the leaven, the hidden treasure, pearl of great value, and the parable of the net. And remember, the context is Jesus's ministry is is apparently not going great, and there's a lot of opposition, there's a lot of difficulty, and a lot of these are kind of bad news. Uh, You know, you're going to have to suffer through the wheat and the weeds issue, right? You're going to have to suffer through people around you not believing. Um, you're going to have to suffer through a mysterious kingdom that doesn't look like much, and it won't appear impressive for a long time, and then suddenly it'll be everywhere. It'll be huge. Uh, the Parable of the Net, you're going to have to um, just wait and carry on and work hard until the end and let God sort out the good and the bad um, in in within the kingdom even. So, there's a lot of endurance, gritty, keep going kind of um, parables going on in the midst of the context of difficulty in the ministry of Jesus. John the Baptist is in prison, um, and Jesus has been teaching a lot about um, the sacrifice that it takes to be his one of his disciples and the sword that he's bringing because of the gospel uh, and uh, households being divided. And so when we look at these, the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value, these are a little bit of a reprieve and good news um, in the midst of the difficulty. Like, okay, Jesus, if we have to give up lots of stuff for um, for the gospel, if we have to endure the difficulty, the ambiguity of waiting for that final day and not seeing the results that we had hoped for and living among evil for the, all this time— Uh, what's the good news? The good news is the kingdom of God is like a man who went and sought and who gave up everything to obtain this. That the good news is that Jesus gave up everything to obtain you. And whatever he calls you to, that's difficult. He has done more for you and it is worth it um, in order to obtain this kingdom and this beauty that he is bringing into this world. So I think the reason he tells these is to give his disciples, uh, to remind them of his great desire for them, his great desire to obtain them and his sacrifice to do so is to get this kind of um, this good news, this this hidden treasure piece kind of into their bloodstream as they're coping with the kingdom of God isn't going to go exactly how we would expect. Okay. So, back to our um, current study. Let's look, um, let's look kind of recap a little bit. So, the refrain, refrain in general, in particular, is purchasing and selling everything. It's the way that the treasure is obtained. And not only is the value of this pearl or the treasure highlighted, but how it was obtained is the highlight. And we've already talked about these two interpretations. Either it's us selling everything to obtain Jesus or Jesus selling everything to obtain us. Um, Those are the main two. There's a couple of passages in Matthew that can help us to interpret this, and we'll go over those next. Okay, so we'll look at these three passages to help shed some light on the situation so the first is Matthew 18. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. So it comes a little bit further down. And again, we're trying to answer the question, um, are we the ones who give up everything for the gospel or and for Jesus, or is Jesus the one who gives up everything for the kingdom and for uh, us, his kingdom? So let's look in Matthew 18. We won't read all of it, but the beginning of this parable says, therefore, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, so I want you to notice that, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. There's a similar language and payment to be made. So I want you to notice in the setup for this parable, the the impossibility of payment here. 10,000 talents would be like billions of dollars in our uh, money. Uh, that's how much this man owed, and he was not able to pay. Uh, and then uh, there's this image of punishment, divine punishment of being sold into, into uh, basically hell until this payment is paid off. So this is not a good image for us trying to pay God for what we owe him. That's the point I'm trying to make. So that is helpful. In fact, what happens next? So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything, which is also not true. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So he ate the cost of this great debt. He picked up the bill. He is the one who paid for it. Um, And so the one who does the positive paying for something is the God king figure in this parable. And the one who fails to do the paying thing is the servant. So that's the first one to say, I don't know if we're the ones who pay or give up everything or sell everything to obtain Jesus. Uh, the second one is Matthew 19, 21, and this is when the rich young ruler comes to talk to Jesus, asking him what he needs to do to obtain eternal life. Uh, so he says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Give me a price. And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Uh, When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions or great wealth. So we see again in this scenario, this man could have given up everything and followed Jesus, give all his possessions away. But he, Jesus asks him to do the one thing he knows he won't do. He knows he won't give up this, this possession and this, um, this wealth that he has and he won't obtain the treasure that is for him in heaven. So he goes away sad. And then after this, the disciples ask if he can't get into heaven, who can? And Jesus answers um, with God, all things are possible, right? It's it's like a rich man getting into heaven is like going through the eye, uh, an, a camel going through the eye of a needle, but with God, all things are possible. So again, we have a negative portrayal of humans selling everything and obtaining something greater in the kingdom of God. We have a failure of humanity to do this um, in this image. Okay, the last one uh, is in the end. It's Matthew 20, 28. And this is toward the end of Jesus's uh, earthly life before his death and resurrection um, there's this question of who's going to be the greatest in the in the kingdom of god among the disciples and listen to jesus's response here jesus calls to them and says you know that the rulers of the gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them it shall not be so among you but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and this is the kicker and to give his life as a ransom for many so i think if the question is who is the the man in the parable who gives up everything in order to obtain the treasure in order to obtain the pearl and i think the best answer the most faithful answer the most realistic answer is it is jesus Jesus is the one who gives up everything to obtain his kingdom. He gives up his life. He gives up himself as a ransom, everything he had. He didn't have any, uh, any place to lay his head, right? His family members were stripped from him. His friends were stripped from him, his reputation, right? He became human, became killable. Uh, he became, uh, he left his glory Uh and left his 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 heaven with his heavenly father, and became humbled and gave up everything to obtain his church. And this is, I think, the anchor of the good news among these parables. Like, is the kingdom of God worthwhile? Is it worth it? Is it worth the struggle and the ambiguity and the suffering? Uh, is it worth the mission that God calls us to? And I think the resounding answer is yes. Uh, and it's evidenced in Jesus giving up everything for us. We might say we've given up some things for God, but it's it's genuinely not that way. It's genuinely God gives up his son for us. Jesus gives up his life for us. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. And that's why it's worth it. Okay, a few other uh, verses that connect. Philippians in the New Testament, Philippians 2 and Colossians 3. Uh, This is Jesus for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is like the kingdom of God, right? God's son giving up everything, even his life for us. Uh, Here is uh, also Colossians 3, and another um, reason we would interpret this parable this way. Colossians 3 says that you, friend, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And this is helpful because um, if it's answering the question what is the hiddenness theme, especially in the parable of the treasure? Why does the man re-hide the treasure and then go and, and buy the field? What is that all about? Because if the treasure was God's grace or if the treasure was the gospel, are we ever called to hide the treasure of the gospel? And the answer is no. We're called to be the light in the world, be the salt, to proclaim from the rooftops what jesus what the gospel has whispered to us in our ears we're to let our light shine before men so the gospel should never be hidden and that's part of the the mystery here like you don't hide the gospel you proclaim it so it doesn't really make sense that the kingdom of heaven is the treasure or that jesus himself is the treasure because we don't hide the work of jesus and we don't hide the the kingdom of god we don't hide the gospel but we are hidden We are hidden in Christ. And even though our life in Christ doesn't look spectacular or glorious in this world, or, you know, it doesn't mean automatic success and the ease of life and just skipping down the rosy path. Often our lives are difficult and hard and conflicted as Christians, but there's a hiddenness to it that will be revealed. The glory will be revealed at the end, once again, at the end. So this passage is wonderful you know. it says you have died to this earthly life you have your true life is hidden with christ in god and when christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory so this is again when the treasure is hidden the lord has hidden us right in himself um, and our glory will appear on the last day the treasure will be revealed that we belong as treasure to um, the Lord of hosts. So, there you go. That's what I think is going on with these parables. Uh, it's a story that is meant to encourage us in the midst of these difficult teachings of the kingdom. Uh, so, here's, I think, a good summary review of this these parables, that we have true security in Christ who gave up everything to have us. Uh, if God has given up everything, including his son, in order to obtain us, then how would he not along with him give us all things? Uh, we can't be snatched away from God in the love of Christ because we have been purchased at the great cost of his son. And so in the midst of difficulty and ambiguity and ugliness and brokenness and hiddenness of the kingdom of God, our true security is that we, our life is hidden in Christ and uh, we are a great treasure to our God. So there you go, here's a last thought, parting thought, uh, especially for those who have uh, this on video. This is another uh, inspired uh, painting by one of my favorite uh, um, artists, Edward Royas. And uh, he wrote, he, so the images of a a field, and it's a cemetery, there's all these graves in this field. And the image of Jesus pulling a grave out of the field, pulling a treasure, we could say, out of the field. And the quotation is from our parable from today. For joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Jesus has purchased um, the world with his blood. He's purchased uh, this kingdom for himself and he's hidden us in him. And that means that he will raise us from the dead. We are his treasured possession, and he will obtain the treasure that he has bought uh, when he returns to this world. He'll raise us from the grave and and bring us into his presence uh, forever and ever to rule and reign with him. So be encouraged, Christians. Um, we are the Lord's treasured possession. Um, thanks for coming along, and uh, we'll do some more of these parable studies uh, coming up next. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope it was useful for you. If you found this particular useful, you can share this episode with friends or family. You can also subscribe to our podcast and whatever platform you're using, or give us a review. That really helps other people find our podcast. This is also a teaching ministry of Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska. And so, if you do not have a church, we would love to welcome you into our community to build you up and to share the joy of salvation with you and the rest of the members here at Overcross.